Welcome to Still Scared, Talking Children's Horror, a podcast about creepy, spooky and disturbing children's books, films and TV. I'm Adam Wybray. My co-host is Wren Wednesday. And today we're discussing two books by Susan Gates, Revenge of the Toffee Monster and Killer Mushrooms Ate My Gran. A full transcript of the show is available so please check the show notes for that. Enjoy! Good evening. Hello. Hello. Hi, Adam. Hi. <laughs> um, and hello, Willow, our returning guest. Hi. Uh, who was last on um, well, quite a while ago now to talk about the Box of Delights mm-hmm. um, and is now here to dredge up another artifact of our shared childhoods, um, which is uh, oh, a couple of books um, by the English author Susan Gates, um, who's another one of those very prolific children's books writers uh, who've written over a hundred books. Really? What? Um, so, so yeah, yeah. They, they, these yeah. must be early in her career because my copy of Revenge of the Toffee Monster only mentions sea hags, suckers and cobra sharks. So I thought, oh, this must have been a bit of a flash in the pan. Also. Oh, right. The, no, quite, I think this is just a... Yeah, no, this is her, her, early, her early work. Um... So yeah, we've got uh, two, two, just two of uh, these hundred books. Um, Revenge of the Toffee Monster um, from 1999 and Killer Mushrooms Ate My Gran from 2000. I feel like they're sort of classics of, a, of children's libraries in, 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 sort of in primary schools. I can very distinctly recognise their covers from the shelves when I look at oh, them yeah. and sort of takes me back to being intrigued by the in fact the textures yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah published just at the right time for someone born in say 1991 uh-huh. to have read as a as a kid so um <laughs> um and and you did willow uh you had you definitely had revenge of the toffee monster yes i did was uh was uh i think probably a bit displeased when i first bought it to discover that the the gorgeous color picture on the front was not replicated within, and it was in fact only words that I had to read <laughs> using my brain that tricked me. But uh, I, I do remember reading it nonetheless. Yeah, and I also picked it off your shelf and read it, and only w- had just had this memory just of textures and sort of an unsettling atmosphere mm, um yeah so i thought it would be a, a good candidate for the podcast yeah, absolutely and i mean and of course in contrast you were a most prolific reader so uh, keeping you away from <laughs> my books would probably have been quite tricky yeah um it, it it says in the um little autobiographical section from pay uh, just inside it says um 
that, I mean, she was a prolific reader. It says she read every science fiction book in Cleethorpe's public library. Wow. Um, and also had a craze for all kinds of American literature, especially detective stories, mm. um, which makes make sense. I do think these have a hard-boiled edge to them. Um, <laughs> yeah. They're interesting stylistically because she was born in Grimsby mm. and they they do have a bit of a feel of Grimsby about them. <laughs> uh, and yet, like, they do also have that hard-boiled American uh, kind of parody of almost like a detective story. Not not like the plotting, just how it's written somehow. I mean, it's very, it's very um, liberal on the um, uh, similes. It's <laughs> um, oh. mostly what I noticed about the writing. There's so many. <laughs> I was literally thinking it would be great, like to I'd, I could very happily use these to teach children older than the ones I do teach about similes and metaphors. Yeah. Um, but I did. I did. I don't know if you did this, Willow. I I, I asked if you would write down what you remember about this book <laughs> before I did. rereading it. Um, ah, so yeah if you could uh, yeah um, tell so us about that what i remembered about the revenge of the toffee monster was that someone breaks into a toffee factory and discovers a monster perhaps <laughs> i was using context clues for this first bit um <laughs> i believe that the monster was once a human and suffered some sort of grave injustice or accident that led to their toffification which is, you know, there was elements of correctness in there, but also elements in which I misremembered. Um, I thought it emerged, and I thought that maybe it absorbs people, a bit like the mm. blob. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I wasn't sure. I mean, um, and then I was thinking that I remember finding the character sympathetic, but I wasn't sure if it was sympathetic mm. on the cover, but then more frightening in the book, felt like there might be some tension between, like, how it looked in the front cover and how I experienced it as a character. And so that was my, mm. uh, those, those are my recollections. Yeah, cool. Um, I mean, that's, um, that's actually more than I was, yeah. That's kind of more than I was expecting because all I remembered was a toffee texture and a disconsolate atmosphere. So <laughs> you definitely had to... <laughs> but, Ren, you read a lot more books than I did, you see. This was from <laughs> a much smaller percentage of your total. <laughs> that, that's true. Although I, I think that, that speaks to how Ren's memory works as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, that it, yeah. It's textural. I just remember yeah. sort of some sort of character, character beats. Thing. I think the cover drew me to this book when I was young. Yeah. Oh yeah, we should um, probably describe the covers. Um, <laughs> so... The the covers are really warty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really warty, yeah. Both of them. <laughs> By Tony Blundell. Mm-hmm. Uh, in both cases. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the Revenge of the Toffee Monster has a very a very warty toffee monster with a a, a grin, a grimace. Uh, some... Oh, definitely a grimace. I think yeah. it looks pained to me. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and and the the sort of the title is also written in a blobby toffee kind of font. It's a little bit movie poster like, I suppose. Mm, yeah. yeah, schlock schlock movie poster. Mm. Very slight, um, uh, like difference in the way that the words are printed, uh, like as opposed to the rest of the cover. So they kind of they're more shiny than the uh, the, the monster and the words. I've got some sort of clever publishing trick done to yeah we've got the laminate we've got a bit of the old laminate on it mm. 
and then uh, Killer Mushrooms Ate My Gran has has some again very warty mushrooms, uh, red, red and <laughs> I mean brain mushrooms, very yeah. severe looking. Yeah, um, surrounding a inquisitorial, surrounding the Gran who's uh, wearing a cycling helmet and cycling gear, um, and the mushrooms are laminate, but the the Gran is not this time. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I also, um, just as a, a sort of flight of fancy, I tried to write down what I remembered of Killer Mushrooms Ate My Gran, having never actually read it before, um, <laughs> at, just, at, just to see whether it was more or less accurate than what I remembered of the one I had read. Okay. So just like trope association, really. But, um, so I imagine there might be a child who lives with their gran who hates mushrooms and never eats them. In fact, they throw them down into a basement after pretending to eat them each night. And I imagine that maybe they would start to hear noises from the basement and see strange orange glowing eyes at the windows. And then they they venture down, but they're scared off, but their gran is not so lucky, and the mushrooms eat her, but they hunger for more. Perhaps they control her like a pod person and use her to lure others down to the basement. And then the child has to build a ragtag crew of misfits from school to destroy the mushrooms, and it validates their dislike of mushrooms. <laughs> That's really not bad at all. Um, yeah. <laughs> You clearly have a strong grasp of children's horror tropes uh, <laughs> under your belt. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm impressed. Thank you. <clears throat> <laughs> um, I like how how surreal you're you're um, making this podcast already. So. <laughs> Good addition. Um, so. Um, <laughs> So right, Adventure of the Toffee Monster. Our main character is Lenny. Um, he's bored during the summer holidays. Um, all his friends are away, so he, he rides around on his bike and finds a sign to a toffee museum. Um, he investigates, but finds it kind of dusty and dreary, and is a little unnerved by the image of a, a Victorian child with a mournful expression on an old toffee tin. Um, he's about to leave when he smells the sweet, buttery smell of toffee, and follows it into an industrial kitchen where an old woman is throwing toffee by hand in these kind of great looping strands. Um, Lenny uh, is transfixed by this display, but the the toffee-throwing woman, um, who's revealed to be Miss Butterworth, um, is very hostile to him initially. Uh, She says that, that little boys used to love Butterworth's toffee, but now they only sell it to the old folks' home, and uh, soon they'll be out of business entirely. So Lenny kind of tries to explain the concept of modern sweets to her using the example of a sparkle bar in his pocket, um, which is a, a candy that, that fizzes blue foam and turns your teeth blue and also has a theme song. Um, I don't know if anyone wants to try and sing the theme song on page 25. Page 20. Um, sure, yeah. Can I get some backing music? I'll, I'll give it a go. Just our <laughs> um, style. Give me a yeah, yeah. Drop a beat. Uh, um, oh, yeah, all right, if you start... Oh, gosh, if you start drumming, <laughs> Ren, I'll get back in a sec. Uh, <laughs> too old for this. Mm. Wow. Cosmic kids eat sparkle bars. Wow. Sparkle bars are ace. They wow the world, the universe. They wow <laughs> aliens in space. 
Oh, thank you, Ella. Oh, you're welcome. It was a bit, it was a bit, a bit more like a spoken word poem. Than a song, but, you yeah. know. Uh, no, that was great. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed that. Session. Should we? Thank uh, you. Do we want to talk about Lenny in the beginning first, or do we want to sort of do a full? Song? Yeah, no, feel free. Yeah. If you have things to say about Lenny, yeah, I mean, I thought Lenny was a it was an interesting choice of character and quite cool that this character in the story is like is poor, like in the te- is textually like from like a poor household. He can't afford his family can't go afford to go on holidays. You know, he's he's bored in a sort of industrial area, and I don't know. I feel like that was, you know, it's not a bunch of posh kids in the countryside solving mysteries. This is quite. He's only like explicitly been to the countryside twice on a school trip. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and he's also a person of, ca- of color. Like he's, he's half Chinese, and that's relevant in the story, but also <laughs> isn't made a big deal of in some in most ways, apart from possibly having toffee in his blood. But that's kind of a, <laughs> a, 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 a weird, a weird element. But I, I just think that like having him, I think that as a character, I feel like it was nice to see him represented and especially in for like teenagers today and like young like older primary age children today cost living crisis a lot of children can't go on holidays and will have similar experiences to this um yeah he's i think he's quite charming he's a quite a little scamp um but um i i liked him as a character Yeah, same here. I like that he's got a whole bunch of ideas whizzing around his head and sometimes he he keeps them to himself as long as he just says them and I think it Gates gets across how higgledy-piggledy things can feel when you're a kid and that sense of emotional overwhelm and she captures that kind of voice <laughs> yeah, of child yeah. outrage really well. And, and, and there were elements of like quite like almost you know obviously a, a lot of similes and metaphors as well but there were some bits which were kind of subtle storytelling like lenny having sympathy with um clum who we haven't heard about yet but getting in lots of trouble and i just thought that was quite nicely like without saying <laughs> lenny was a child who got in lots of trouble at school, <clears throat> it, like it just sort of had that that moment of emotional connection and left it at that like, i was like oh that's quite good i enjoyed this yeah um I think it's um, it's a very it's very like straightforwardly written. It's not like, um, you know, like like some of the books we read um, are kind of much more sort of poetic kind of. Oh, I see. This is yeah. yeah this is not. This is like the opposite end of the spectrum to Moondial in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like, it's it's easy to read. It's fun. It's like. I think I think kids would would like this book, which is you know for all of Moon Moon Dial's um, qualities, it's not necessarily something I said about it. <laughs> that is really true, actually, because I did I did think uh, my stepson is not going to be bothered with this, whereas actually I think he'd probably quite enjoy, I might give it he'd probably enjoy these two books and find them fun. So, mm. <laughs> and, and I suppose that's part of what they're going for. They're going for a schlocky um, monster movie like genre mm. um, rather than trying to be arty and scary <laughs> yeah I, I guess that's the way 
that they seem more indebted to American genre fiction than they do necessarily like the classics of British children's literature. Mm. Um, which is nice because I think that's probably where this more, um, in this book at least, the more industrial environment mm. comes True. out of in yeah. part. A working class child on a bike rather than a very posh child in a mansion, which is much more sort of classic English literature mm-hmm. style. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Lenny um, Lenny has the idea, he has a lot of ideas. He says his idea that he should be Miss Butterworth's consultant. And um, and uh, <laughs> he, thinks, um, he thinks that he might have toffee in his blood because his mum's Chinese and toffee was invented in ancient China, which... Um, sadly, isn't true. <laughs> I, I, thank you for doing your research. <laughs> um, yeah, um, a quick Google suggests that toffee was invented in England or possibly Wales um, as a result of the plentiful supplies of sugar reaching the UK in the 19th century from slave labour in the Caribbean. Um, uh, which, um, you know, I guess that's that's what puts a more realistic damper on this whole nostalgic Victorian toffee company business but there we are I found a, a company called White Rabbit Candy who do sort of toffees in China but they originated in 1943 which I don't think is the sort of the ancient origins of toffee that they were sort of <laughs> vaguely alluding to yeah um, so that, that's a fabrication but um, you know it's fine. It's enjoyable. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Lenny um, kind of mentions the toffee tin um, with the mournful kid on it um, to Miss Butterworth, which uh, he takes the kid to be a girl because they're wearing a, a frilly dress. But to, to Lenny's great outrage, Miss Butterworth reveals that it was a boy called <laughs> Young Master Harold, and that small Victorian boys wore dresses before they were allowed to have their first pair of trousers. Um, he yeah, uh, gets gets some some proper gender outrage uh, across this book. Yeah, um, and she also tells him that her her grandfather Josiah Butterworth was an inventor who experimented with frogs and was fascinated by electricity, and who one night made a living creature out of Brazil nut toffee. <laughs> Can I just point out, like, I am so disappointed in myself that for all my love of foreshadowing in like you know mm. rpgs that i run and, and you know and like genre literature and films that i watch i did not get the frog references even though yeah. he was clum was very explicitly described as like warty and croaking and i just <laughs> did not think oh right obviously the frogs that were mentioned at the beginning were relevant yeah okay um i i i mean i mean the the science of this book might constitute a Claim of the week. Uh, <laughs> arguably, I think compared to the rigorous, uh, comparatively rigorous mushroom science of killer mushrooms ate my gran, uh, mm. I think the toffee science, the animate toffee science in this book, uh, is somewhat sketchy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And Miss um... Butterworth also makes a claim, uh, and I quote. Toffee is a miraculous substance that it has limitless possibilities, which makes me think of that in The <laughs> Simpsons with the guy, the salesperson with the gummy 
gummy lips uh, who claim, <laughs> claims that they have a uh, hundred different uses and uh, like a like a comedic replacement for your own lips and then Homer says go on <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, we, we get we get the claim of toffee being used to patch up tires like um, a puncture in, mm. in, in a in a bike tire which I guess I guess would work, maybe for a it's while. It's like blue tack in its thousands of uses, isn't it? Like, yeah. When you stick something to the wall and then you stick something I, to something else. I mean, I think most of the uses are going to be based on its stickiness. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if stickiness is like the only useful property in the universe. <laughs> I mean, I've got another possible claim of the week. Um, oh my gosh. I mean, nice. I like, we haven't done it for a while, so I'm quite glad to have a claim of the week. Well, I mean, I we've already had that toffee was created in ancient China. So yes, we're yes, really... that's true. <laughs> this is a book maybe of claims. Less, less, less sort of objectively verifiable than those. Oh, okay. Lines. But this one is the idea that so there was a, a famous film stuntman, um, uh, like I think it was Harold actually when he was growing up. Um, but just as he was flying midway, a piece of flying toffee struck him in the right eye. And the explanation given was it was probably dropped by a passing crow. I just, <laughs> I just don't think that's the most likely scenario. I don't know. I don't know how I think a, a, a toffee would end up in the air. But I don't see why a crow would drop it. I mean, maybe, is... maybe crows take a fancy to toffee and then they're like, eh, it's not all that. <laughs> Very much like the children of today. <laughs> Yeah, with their sparkle bars. <laughs> um, I, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I can imagine a crow picking up an, a stray toffee from the ground and then, yeah, deciding it wasn't for them. Oh, I think. fine, fine. Okay, I retract. I cheerfully retract. <laughs> my... uh, si- 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 t- ten- tense times on still scared of sibling disagreement. <laughs> on, uh... <laughs> Humbug machine was running full pelt 
There was a big humbug order to fill. Harold came dashing in. He didn't think. He was only concerned for his friend. Before Clum could reach this vat, Harold threw himself at him to give him a big hug. It was the only time in his short life that creature had ever been hugged. He was so overjoyed, he put his arms round Harold. He lifted him high in the air. Lenny's hand flew up to his mouth. Oh no, I can't believe it. They stuck together, didn't they? They did, and Harold panicked. He shouted, set me down. But Clum didn't understand, only squeezed him tighter. Clum didn't know his own strength, and poor Harold couldn't breathe. He struggled to get free from the creature's sticky embrace. But he fell. Lenny gnawed at his knuckles. It was too awful to think about. Harold didn't fall into the humbug machine, did he? Is that what you meant when you said he came to a sticky end? He looked fearfully at the great machine towering above them. He imagined those great iron paddles whacking the toffee mixture, spitting it out as humbugs, flicking it into tins. The thought of Harold being turned into humbugs was more than he could bear. Good heavens, said Miss Puddleworth. What gruesome mind you modern children have got? <laughs> Calling out the reader there. No, Harold didn't fall into the machine. He struck his head on one of the paddles as he fell. Clum saw Harold wasn't moving. He cried toffee tears. His poor heart was broken in two. <laughs> Tragic stuff. It's a sad turn of events. Uh, thank you, Adam. That was so... Yes. Very good reading. Um... Clum, yeah. Clum has something of a of a Lenny in Of Mice and Men about him. Mmm, so, that's true, actually. Uh, sort of loving, but um, written as very sort of uh, as, as quite low cognitive abilities. Um, Doesn't know his own strength. Mm, or indeed stickiness. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, thinking they, 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 a mob sort of gather, they think Harold's dead, and they 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 hunt Clum, Clum down and sort of chase him onto a, an ice covered river, and um, uh, Clum, uh, seeing no way out, breaks the ice and and slips into the river. I'll just read that bit. He says, um, "They say," said Miss Butterworth, "that he turned to look back at the screaming mob just once. Then he looked up at the shining moon. He seemed to reach out for it, trying to fetch it." He loved silvery things, remember. Then he gave a last despairing croak and jumped up and down on the ice until it cracked beneath him. He let himself slip into the icy water. <laughs> so, poor Clum. Mm, uh, justice for Clum. Slips into the river. Um, and they, they pull him out um, downstream and as a sort of frozen block of toffee. Um, and uh, Miss Butterworth reveals that they dragged him back to the toffee work and uh, broke him into sacks. <laughs> As basically happens to the blob, I think. Because, oh, Willow, really? you're making the comparison to the blob, and I'm pretty mm. sure that the blob ends up frozen, and that's how the blob is blobbed. Well, that's quite interesting. Yeah, so it might be it might be a kind of deliberate reference. Yes, mm. it could well be, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and she she uh, she goes down to the cellar uh, to the deep freeze in the cellar and brings up a brown sack labelled Clum, 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, Josiah Butterworth uh, chipped Clum into convenient pieces with his personal silver toffee hammer. Uh, it's important to note. Mm. Hopefully, um, not eating bits as he went. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Now, making the Simpsons reference now. Earlier, now I'm thinking of Homer when he when he eats his. Uh, his delicious lobster and to cries <laughs> as he devours it. <laughs> oh, clum! Oh, yum, yum, yum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, that's the tragic tale of clum. Um, mm. But, uh, and Lenny's. Uh, Lenny feels so. Very, uh, that his heart goes out to clum, but. Um, but Ms. And Buster this is about says, halfway through the book almost. <laughs> Sorry? And this is about halfway yeah. through the book almost. Like, mm. like we don't actually have the living toffee monster for quite a long, a long way through. Mm. I guess I guess like I sort of expected that would be like the second chapter or something. It's very much not. Yeah. Mm. Um. Yeah. Um, she 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 tells Lenny that like Clum's sort of kind nature kind of change towards the end of his life because he was being constantly mistreated and and he became dangerous and so so it's for the best that he's in pieces in the freezer um um lenny's kind of still thinking of, uh, about being a toffee consultant and coming up with ideas of how to use clum to revitalize butterworth's toffee <laughs> um, he... i'm just thinking of his imagined advert which is great yeah, yeah. He's like kids love being scared. You can. <laughs> what does he say about that? Um... Well, he basically says you can have club like in this advert, threatening children <laughs> <laughs> to eat more toffee. Oh yeah, <laughs> buy Butterworth's toffee or else. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, he holds up one of the sparkle bars and says, and says that they could tell Club to fetch all the sparkle bars in the city and eliminate the competition. Um, but then um, his uh, his spiel is uh, interrupted by a bell tolling, and he realizes that he needs to go home. And he uh, tells Miss Butterworth that Butterworth that he'll be back, but he, he doesn't really mean it. Um, and there's a sweet line that all the time he was talking, he didn't have to sort out all those mixed up feelings in his head, which I thought was quite nice. <laughs> oh. Natural extrovert there, just just keep talking, it'll be okay. <laughs> 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 yeah. I'm an actual correspondent, will I? <laughs> yes, indeed. And uh, <laughs> now we're, we're getting up to uh, bits of Clum, which I, yeah, I really yeah. enjoy. <laughs> yeah, Miss Butterworth's kind of tired out from all this commotion and goes upstairs for a nap, forgetting that the two pieces of Clum um, are on the kitchen counter um, where they start to defrost. Um, she left the hob on. Very dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so they're defrosting really fast, mm. um, and uh, and Lenny meanwhile sort of goes home and talks to his mum, and, and she says that she remembers her her grandmother, um, or, or she remembers her mum saying that her mum's grandmother made life size toffee swans for banquets in China. So he's like, oh, I do have toffee in my blood, but um, so he decides to go back to the toffee works after all. Um, but um, these these bits of clam have activated, and um, something in them recognizes Lenny's instruction to to fetch a sparkle bar, and uh, so they sneak out of the the toffee works, and uh, 
rampage across the city, snatching sparkle bars from children's hands. Mm, um, yes, they were moving horribly fast, like speeded up loopy caterpillars. <laughs> <laughs> or you can imagine the stop motion in the film adaptation. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, you need some kind of Cronenbergian um, modelling for the actual monster. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, Miss, Miss Butterworth wakes up and she kind of sees what these toffee slugs have been doing with the sparkle bars and uh, hauls the rest of the 22 sacks of clum up from the cellar to defrost um, because with her, her limited knowledge of the late 90s um, from <laughs> Lenny, she, she believes that sparkle bars are, are Butterworth toffee's only rivals um, and she can write, wipe them all out with these bits of clum. It's quite sweet that she she has no knowledge of these sort of multinational conglomerate <laughs> sweet companies, and that she's yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, Lenny, on his way back to the to the toffee work, sees this trail of sparkle bars, and um, follows them back to the toffee works, um, and uh, he. He realizes that the Clum, that Clum had frog DNA in him, um, and he'd seen something about how some frogs could stay alive through deep freezing. So, like Clum must have this this frog ability. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, hmm. oh, I was just thinking about sparkle bars. Sorry, they're very enchanting, and um, I was trying to. <laughs> I was wondering if you remember the spark, the the, the, the crackly chocolates. That I think it was maybe Willy Wonka branded or something. Yeah, but... yeah, with popping candy. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. oh, that was great, wasn't it? <laughs> no, yeah, that was, that was one of these, like, very, very 90s chocolates, wasn't it? It was. I feel like that might have been what this was sort of, you know, referencing. It wasn't blue. Mm. This one mm. this one makes people's mouths blue, but that one was very crackly and satisfying. Hmm. But only mm. '90s kids will, will get that reference. So I'm sorry <laughs> if you're not a '90s kid. Then younger listeners are are, are busy. Meanwhile, drinking their energy drinks sponsored by YouTubers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, washing down the Tide Pods oh. with the energy drinks. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that that's what gives you the real. I saw buzz. I saw one of those in the news agent. The, one of well, those, what are, what like, are one these of YouTuber energy juices. drinks? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like nine pounds. It was like I nine know. Pounds for like, I, I, I shouldn't. I, I was like, what? I let, I let George spend his own pocket money on one, and like, <laughs> and he, he doesn't even. He, he said it was just, you know, it was the talk of the playground. He was like, oh, the other boys, you know, they said it was really good. I was like, oh, yeah, really. <laughs> hang on, hang on. Are we Mrs. Butterworth now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You either die a hero or you live long enough to, or a Harold, maybe, or you live long enough to see yourself become Mrs. Butterworth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um. Oh, I just mentioned briefly, actually, um, Willow, because it's been, I don't know, like at least 10, over a decade. So just, I still, for for listeners, I still have Willow's copy of The Orange Box, which is a Half Life 2. Uh, kids, it could it could have Half Life Two, Portal, and Team Fortress Two. Um, 
I will say, well, I can't, I can't even play it. So you say, George, my stepson, wanted to play it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I still got this. And I tried loading it up for the first time after having borrowed it, like, 13 years ago or something. And uh, you must have already registered it with Steam because it said, oh, this product's already registered, you can't use it. So I borrowed it for all these years for nothing. <laughs> 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 oh dear yeah. wow i mean yeah i'm sorry very large tangent there apologies oh mm-hmm. well we're tangenting i should say that i have just got bert the coconut head puppet puppet back in my oh my gosh head. yeah really um, oh yeah, is bert yeah, still we- still all right yeah, Bert's still doing great. Yeah, at Aww. least he had him for uh, several years, but now he's he's back back with me. So um, this oh, is a, a puppet that that Adam made for me with a, a coconut head um, some years ago, wearing a wearing a little floral dress. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> very good, <laughs> very very good. <laughs> um, so yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll get Bert to join us for Texture of the Week, actually. Oh, oh that might be good. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Bert can sing Texture of the Week. Good stuff. Speaking Should of we text... do that now? Oh, yeah. Do we want to? Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll get Bert. I'll get Bert. Okay. I've only... I mean, I haven't really got clacking coconut mouths. I've got a, a sort of a metal, metal cup, but I don't know if I can get much of a sound out of it. Right. Okay. Maybe if I. <laughs> yeah, it's Bert's clackety mouth. Okay, can Bert can sing it too? Okay. Oh god, I haven't done the Bert voice in so long. Um... <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Texture. 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 Oh, the week. Excellent. Now that's showbiz. <laughs> showbiz. <laughs> um, okay, so so so, what's your texture of the week? Um, is it well, toffee? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of just clum, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, but I, I did I did narrow it down a bit to uh, to um well we haven't quite got to it yet but uh, but Clum um, ends up uh, covered in sparkle bars um, as a kind of armor um, because uh, the, all the the parts of when he reconstitute all the the parts of him sort of fetch the sparkle bars back <laughs> and and uh, he's sort of plated in these silver silvery wrappered chocolates or sweets. Um, so, I think that's quite an arresting image. It's quite majestic. Yeah. I, I went for a slightly more oh. horrific option. <clears throat> oh. Um, uh, it looked like a writhing a mountain of maggots, but they weren't maggots. They were toffee slugs, and they were jiggling about in a frenzy. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so, yeah, my, mine, um, mine is actually from Killer Mushrooms Ain't My Gran, which, since we're only going to sort of discuss it briefly, I will read this section, because, mm. uh, some great mushroom textures here. Uh, so, 
the protagonist of this, who's actually called Maggot, <laughs> um, has come mm. across uh, a whole a, a sort of shed full of mushrooms. It says he'd never seen anything like it. He didn't know fungi this weird existed. They were sneaking over the edge of the mushroom beds, pushing up through the floor, hanging anywhere they could get a grip. They'd taken over the shed and driven out the button mushrooms. There wasn't a boring button mushroom in sight. These fungi were all shapes, all sizes, from tiny toadstools to great big puffballs. They were all colours, from sickly yellow to poisonous blue. Those toadstools were black and rubbery like licorice. That strange purple fungus was like a honeycomb. There was even an orange, frilly fungus creeping along the shed roof. Fungus like dead grey fingers. Fungus flowing like white lava down the shed walls. Some were like soft jelly eggs. Some were warty. Some slimy. A crusty fungus glowing on wood gave off an eerie green glow. Um, and I, I, actually, Ren, I'll just mention that uh, our old friend uh, Helen Helen has has mm. really got the mushroom fever, and uh, oh, yeah. last time last time I saw her had <laughs> quite typically, I will say, taken not just photos of lots of different kinds of mushrooms with all sorts of fungal textures, but also videos of her prodding and flicking mushrooms <laughs> to better enjoy their texture. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> oh. That was that was some, some beautiful mushroom description right there though. That was great. Yeah. That was great, yeah. Um mm. uh, <laughs> Yeah, um I do I do yeah, I do want us to talk about killer mushrooms like my grandma because it is the it's it's good mushrooms. It gives good mushrooms. Um, yeah, yeah. I think the plotting of Revenge of the Toffee Monster is stronger, but uh, the mushroom vibes mm. are obviously very strong in Killer Mushrooms. But yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll finish Revenge of the Toffee Monster and then we'll talk a bit about Killer Mushrooms. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so uh, <laughs> Miss Butterworth reveals that as well as the frog DNA, um, her grandfather uh, chucked a sea sponge into the clum mixture, which uh, means that... Um, that the bits of clum can reform into a whole clum um and they do um and uh reformed clum is not very happy lenny has to pretend to be young master harold um and put on the lacy frock and tam shanter um much to his disgust he uh, he leads clum downstairs sort of intending to sort of lead him back into the deep freezer but when when they pass the kitchen Bits of clum dash off and pick up the sparkle bars and <laughs> uh, clothe him in them. <laughs> um, and uh, Lenny shows clum his reflection. Um, and uh, unlike, uh, I don't think we mentioned it, but unlike just before his uh, his his end, his disastrous end, he um, Harold's mother showed clum his reflection and told him he was a horrible monster. But this mm. time he looks at his reflection and, and sees that. He's a majestical creature. Um, and he can touch and, uh, things now. He's no longer yeah, a sticky yeah, yeah. mess. Miss um, Butterworth's like hissing at Lenny to, to lead Clum into the deep freezer, but he doesn't have the heart to do it. So um, sort of still dressed as Harold, he, he, he leads Clum outside. Um, 
not really knowing where he's taking him. But um, as they pass a landfill site, a sparkle bar wrapper flutters by. Um, and Clum chases after it and Lenny chases after him. And uh, But then Clum sort of catches it at the edge of a vast pit of rubbish and falls in uh, just before some JCBs cover the pit with soil and rocks. So burying Clum underneath. Um, so... Yeah, Lenny goes back to Toffee Works, pretty distraught, and uh, but Miss Butterworth is, sort of just praises him for for saving uh, saving her business. But uh, uh, Lenny doesn't want anything more to do with Toffee. Um, but then, kind of at the the sort of the end of the book, he he sort of a little while later he bumps into Miss Butterworth, and well, he 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 passes to Toffee Works and sees that he's gone, and he's he's kind of a bit alarmed but he, he he bumps into miss butterworth and she says that they've moved the whole toffee works to the uh, victorian street at the heritage museum um and uh, sort of in the epilogue lenny has become miss butterworth's toffee assistant uh, so, so basically the they've works. moved to they've moved to york yeah yeah they're they're at beamish um uh, <laughs> yeah um <laughs> i i love i i was about to swear with how much i love those victorian like those Victorian street, like mock-up streets. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're you, so good. Do you prefer them with mannequins or out-of-work actors? Um, either. I'm not fussy. Okay. Um, yeah. I just, I just love walking down a mock-up Victorian street in a museum. I just think they're great. Um, <laughs> but I mean, the ones that have like people actually doing things in them are, are pretty cool. So this one sounds really good. Like that you can go to an actual sweet shop and see people making toffee that's ideal i think i have really intense sense memories of like um fake saxon villages that um <laughs> we were perhaps taken to at some point and like the, the oh, yeah, we, we went, yeah we went to a ghoulish village in france once that was like, a ghoulish what do you mean a ghoulish village <laughs> 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 like asterix in it um <laughs> ghoulish <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I've got horror on the brain. <laughs> the, the, the scent of the bread that they made there is a very strong sense of memory. Um, yeah, yeah, they they were baking some bread and making some like apple juice and mm. um, it's, it's all like kind of smoky smells and dipping some yeah. candles and fire. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I love that stuff. That's great. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> um, Lenny works up the courage to to tell her about his uh, his granny Wang and her toffee swans, and and she says that she's heard of the famous Wang toffee makers and uh, that she used to make swans too. Um, um, and then, sort of, right at the end, we kind of get this the horror movie, uh, silver gauntleted toffee hand kind of rising from the ground. So, you know, Clum will be back again. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like that. Has that movie like ending? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a little shop of horrors. Well, yeah, depending on which ending. You, um, you sort yeah. of had to have the, the the ending in it, but I say because Tom was such a sympathetic character, I didn't feel the sort of sense of like, oh no, the you know, it, like <laughs> it, it didn't have an oh no feeling. I was like, oh dear, that's going to be really difficult for Lenny. <laughs> 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 yeah um yeah it's much nicer like it's very different to goosebumps like when i was you know reading mm. it came from beneath the sink or monster blood you were never like 
Oh, monster blood. Oh, I hope you make a friend. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Clum's a very um, a sympathetic monster. Um, yeah, humans are, humans are trash in Victorian times as today. And I think he is, <laughs> he is correct in his, uh, <laughs> his appraisal of our species. Yeah, I'd forgotten that he was made of uh, Brazil nut toffee, and that's why he's so lumpy bumpy. That's, uh, oh. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, there's a lot of warty, lumpy mm. descriptions in there for, for Clum. He's a, he's a, a whole mass of textures. Yeah. And <laughs> um, and then we come to Killer Mushrooms Ate My Gran, um, which is from the year 2000. Did either of you notice the most year 2000 reference um, in this book? Oh, gosh. Um, I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. There's a, a bit where, where uh, Maggot's thinking about the, the, the possibility of the mushrooms taking over the earth, and he sort of has this vision of them. Um, and uh, and he says they're they're massive. What some of them are as big as the Millennium Dome. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Instantly carbon dating this book. Yeah, yeah. very good. Yeah, and you tell the kids today that they'll be like, "What's that?" But, <laughs> and I said, "I'd say it's the place I went to watch a really substandard Blackadder episode." That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that was that was disappointing, wasn't it? Uh, I, think I, I think I found it very cool at the time, but it, it wasn't great in retrospect. I also I listened to a, yeah, I listened to a Trash Future episode recently where they were talking about the Millennium Dome, and they kept talking about a giant boy, <laughs> and like <laughs> I'd forgotten about the giant boy, but he was. What there. was it that was that the organs? <laughs> no, I remember well, giant I think organs it was in the body but... bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but there, there was also like you know that that sculptor like Ron Muak, Ron, who does like big sort of quite like realistic sculptures of people. Okay. Um, he ma- he made a giant mostly oh. naked boy for the Millennium yeah. Dome. Yeah. I I, 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 I remember misremembered this. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Remember the the the, the bleak spectacle of a sort of laminate tunnel of money or something it's it like <laughs> yeah. like a million pounds that you can look at or something <laughs> yeah that sounds likely um i i completely misremembered the scale of it so when people used to say they were going to the o2 arena or no, now say they're going to the o2 arena and i was like oh the million dome so is that one big room then inside the dome uh, and it turns out no, it's it's basically like a Westfield in there, and part of it is a bowling alley, and part of it is a place you can do gigs because it, it's a lot bigger oh, really? than I thought. Yeah. Oh, right. Neither of you have been there either. Great. No. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not just one. Bad bigger. memories, you know. I, I can't sorry. go don't, back. Don't... <laughs> <laughs> you can't go dome again. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was wondering if the most year two thousand thing would be the uh, the slightly unfortunate uh, colonialism because uh, we we're we we're really into sort of British culture hitting our we should have known better uh, into the pop culture stuff around this time. I mean, Little Britain was just around the corner when this book came out, and 
I don't know, the fact that it just refers to African tribes people without uh, any degree of specificity beyond that is is not great. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's fast and loose. It's, uh, it's very broad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I don't want to read the, uh, the just the beginning of this book because I think it's got a pretty strong opening. <laughs> um, yeah, this is chapter one. Um, when Maggot arrived at Gran's house, she was trying to read a mushroom. <laughs> Sorry, this is a strong opening line. It is. Um, she'd taken it out of a blue plastic box full of other button mushrooms. Gran squinted at the mushroom. What's it say? I can't see it without my specs. Maggot peered at the top of the mushroom. It had two words carved into it. He read them out loud. Save me. Gran was already rummaging in the box. There's something written on this one, too. She ran into the other room and came back with her reading glasses. This one says, help me, said Gran in a puzzled voice. She handed it to Maggot. There's a face on it, said Maggot. Above the words help me, someone had carved a tragic little face. It was like a sad clown. It had a turned down mouth and tears squirting from the eyes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I was really quite taken with that opening. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and this book does start with a sort of mystery um, format. There is a sort of a person yeah. mm. who, a person with a very convincing reason why they're not there, who then it kind of gradually transpires that they are not there for more dark reasons. They have to sort of investigate that. Yeah, so this is um, Maggot's grand gentleman friend, Jack Dash. Who, um, uh, who stood her up at a wedding and uh, she sort of just kind of feeling kind of sad about that. But, uh, but, um, but, uh, but Maggot sort of realises that, that, that something uh, more sinister has happened to Jack than uh, that he just stood up his gran. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and Jack Dash is a, a daredevil botanist, as we learn, who've, uh, with a passion for mushrooms. And uh, in his in his old age, was uh, um, running a, 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 an ordinary button mushroom farm. But actually, as we heard in Adam's texture of the week earlier, mm. um, there was a lot more going on at the mushroom farm than just button mushrooms. Um, and um, and then yeah, this book. Um, is um uh well yeah <laughs> have uh, i don't know if you yeah have you have you been watching uh, the last of us um no no i i i haven't i've heard it's people have said oh it's the first good video game uh to tv or film adaptation but obviously they haven't seen the super mario brothers original film so <laughs> i haven't been taking that, that yeah. claim very seriously um <laughs> but but yeah, I've I've heard it's good. Well, I only saw one episode of it, but um, but it, it's uh, the, the the concept is uh, of a, a, a pandemic caused a fungal pandemic of um, sort of inspired by these kind of cordyceps mushrooms that uh, take over their host, which in the in the uh, case of the real the real. Uh, Cordyceps fungus is a uh, carpenter ants, um, which mm. um, 
I think, yeah. It was in a David Attenborough documentary a while ago, so it kind of got quite well known from that. But um, I do, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, I I have bookmarked the uh, description of them in uh, Merlin Sheldrake's book, Entangled Life. Um, Oh, please. It says, uh, the most prolific and inventive manipulators of animal animal behavior are a group of fungi that live within the bodies of insects. These zombie fungi are able to modify their host's behavior in ways that brings a clear benefit. By hijacking an insect, the fungus is able to disperse its spores and complete its life cycle. One of the best studied cases is that of the fungus Ophiocordyceps unilateralis, which organizes its life around carpenter ants. Once infected by the fungus, ants are stripped of their instinctive fear of heights, leave the relative safety of their nests and climb up the nearest plant, a syndrome known as summit disease. In due course, the fungus forces the ant to clamp its jaws around the plant in a death grip. Mycelium grows from the ant's feet and stitches them to the plant's surface. The fungus then digests the ant's body and sprouts a stalk out of its head from which spores shower down on ants passing by. If the spores miss their targets, they produce secondary sticky spores which extend outwards on threads that act like trip wires. (laughs) So, yeah, that's Um, um, that's a cordyceps. What what I found most disturbing from Sheldrake's book is the fact that the mushrooms don't actually, you know, you sort of assume, okay, they must have just grown inside the ant's brain or something, but they actually replace the whole ant's nervous system. Yeah. So it's like they're being puppeteered. The nervous system has been replaced by this network Mm. of mycelium. Um, yeah. So it's like the nervous system is a puppeteer, or is the mushroom, which yeah is a really yeah, yeah. freaky idea. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, is this replicated in the Last of Us, um, Ren? Do they um do they do they is it spore based transaction or like uh, like infection or is it more bitey? Um, do they climb up high know. and like get stitched things? <laughs> I, I honestly don't know because I, I only saw one episode and and by that point they'd got more to the point of uh, the humans are the real threat rather than you know the oh god they get they get quick they get quick to that point these days <laughs> you, you, yeah, it used yeah, to be yeah, that, know, that nearly the end of a Romero film you'd find that out <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> no it was already the the real threat was Melanie Linsky by the time I, I saw an episode um, <laughs> um, oh I think it's biting I mean. Oh, yeah, I haven't. I haven't yeah. seen it, but so I don't, I don't. I don't want to insult it, but like, I feel like they should have climbed up higher. And <laughs> it would be. It'd be better yeah, if yeah. they they climbed lamp posts and then like showered spores down. On that would be. Like, <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. if if Junji Ito gets brought in to do some animated version, I guess that's what will happen. But yeah, until then. <laughs> um. So yeah, this this book does actually go pretty hard on the horror um, mm. um, of um, of people being being not so much eaten by mushrooms as taken over by mushrooms. Um, yeah, um, m- m- killer mushrooms metaphorically ate my gran. Yeah. Mm. Um, yes, it's true. They don't eat her at all. They, if anything, are persuasively convert her to the cause of communism. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, um, that, um, so the, the reason why communism is because this this the book has some 
uh, I think some obvious inspiration from the Body Snatchers, um, from Jack from Jack Finney, um, 1955, which was very much a Red Scare kind of schlock book um, about people being taken oh. over and sort of um, and the the sort of I, I believe this is widely understood to be a reference to communism and sort of the idea yeah, yeah. the American individualism would be robbed by this sort of group control and think and so to, to really labor that metaphor Gran just becomes a, a communist by the end of it uh, um. and actually it does make being a mushroom sound pretty great like so <laughs> when, when she, she has been um, f- fungicized what's the, what's the word they used fungized something like that hmm um, yeah. She she has kind of utopic visions of a mushroom colonized future, mm. um, with no, no cars and no pollution and just mushrooms um, dotting the landscape. Yeah, no, it, no it, all sound, it all sounds really. Totally. Yeah, it sounds lovely to be honest. <laughs> I think. Can, can I sign you both up for the? <laughs> I've got some literature here about it. You might find it interesting. Just read it in your own time. <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah i mean you know it's worth it's worth considering i think Mm. i'm not i'm not going to discount the option of becoming a fungus person at this point um so yeah they, they kind of go to the mushroom farm and uh and find uh find jack and he's all he's all mushroomified um <laughs> um yeah that, that that's and, pretty pretty wonderfully described actually as well. yeah have um, we have it, we got yeah i've got i've got this bit but he's described he's not we don't know who it is first it, it says the thing the thing um, it says, uh-huh. the thing had scuttled into a corner. Now, for the first time, he had a good look at it. It crouched there, slyly watching him. His eyes glittered from under the brim of a strange tall hat, which make, makes him sound like the Babadook, actually. Um, <laughs> it, it was thin and spindly, like a seedling grown in the dark. Its lips were like chalk. You could see its skin as white and waxy as church candles through its tattered clothes. Along with the top hat, the thing wore a tailcoat and trousers. The whole outfit was speckled with rust and mildew. It seemed to be mouldering away. You could see it had once been a really posh suit, grey with a tasteful blue stripe. <laughs> yeah, I think the uh, the uh, white and waxy as church candles was also a, a, a texture that I, I really mm. enjoyed. Yeah, I, I saw some, some writing advice that's like... Um, some writing advice that's like if you have two similes or metaphors on a page you should make them fight it out and like only keep the best one whereas huh. Susan Gates is taking the entirely opposite approach <laughs> <laughs> oh as as I do when introducing any scene in a, in a role play game you just, you just <laughs> lay, lay them in <laughs> fine no one's going to reread it you just got to <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, and, um, and Gran is turned to the mushroom cause, and and so basically Maggot has to work out a way to save his Gran, 
and um, and possibly um, Mad Mad Dash Jack as well. But uh... yeah, yeah, and uh, which he does with the help of his grand's own um, uh, own uh, tea, green yeah. tea. Yeah, herbal which, yeah. herbal which, tea. Which Jack, which Jack had bought. Which Jack had brought back, right, for her? Yes, yeah. From, from yeah. So we're from yes, the medicinal, medicinal, medicinal tea. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, so, so he manages to, to defungify his gran, but it's too late for Jack. Um, he's been he's been mushroomed too long. He sacrifices yeah. himself to save them. All. Yeah. Yeah. Heroism. And then the mushrooms sort of seem to be defeated and come back and seem to be defeated and come back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's several rounds of this. Um, <laughs> <you know. laughs> it's quite interesting. Um, the so I don't know how, how old Maggot is meant to be. I don't know if it actually says, but um, by the end of chapter nine, he has quite a... A difficult choice. He he chooses to lie to his gran about the remaining sentience in Jack Dash, um, mm. because uh, Jack sort of says that he's going to sacrifice himself, and mm. um, uh, and <clears throat> gran asks if, if 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 Jack said anything, and he uh, he sort of has a bit of a sort of telltale games moment where he has these two two <laughs> difficult choices, and and gran will remember it. Um, uh, and uh, yeah and and he chooses to lie to her and say that Jack was not sentient and he had just become full mushroom because grandma his grandma would be too sad to know that there was something of him still in there which is quite heavy if this is like an 11 year old child that's (laughs) yeah he's he's, he's still still in primary school know that much oh that's an adverse childhood experience right there yeah Yeah, and 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 Maggot's quite quite an interesting kid. Like I liked the possible kind of echolalia of like when overwhelmed or or feeling awkward, um, Maggot makes arfing noise like a seal. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um. Oh, there's quite a lot of sounds in this as well. There's like there's the batonging and the batinging. From the um, the spit bowl, which is quite a significant artifact for the story, and then the mushrooms make a crack noise, crack sound, um, mm. sharp as a whip crack. It is, and that's a sort of their noise as well. It's quite a noisy, mm. noisy book. Mm. Yeah, it made me think of Philip Ridley a little bit with the sounds. Yeah, yeah, by Vinegar yeah. Street. <laughs> yeah, where everyone's got their own little ticks and um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, things they say and sound effects and stuff. Yeah. Um. And it, it ends on a similar similar note to Revenge of the Toffee Monster, where then a sequel might be set up. <laughs> yeah. Um. But I don't think any of these did get sequels. I think that was just sort of a a narrative, that you know, a necessary narrative sort of flourish for the for the genre. Yeah, yeah, I think it is to make them seem more like schlocky 
1950s horror sci-fi films. Uh, but yeah, this, I mean, this clearly uh, Susan Gates was was pretty interested in in fungi um, and like did did you know, research for this book um, because um, you know you, you yeah like at the end it's talking about hyphae or hyphae the uh, the um, snaking sort of arms of mycelial network that stretch underground you know. Mm. Um, so, um, According to Merlin Sheldrake, could feel, could somehow sense the end of a maze without actually touching it. That's one of the bits in Sheldrake's <laughs> book that really freaked me out. The idea that <laughs> my serial network can navigate a maze without actually like getting, like they they they, they can sense somehow when there's mm. a dead end before actually getting to the end of that path. And scientists yeah. do wow. not know how they do this. <laughs> yeah so I, th- I think susan gates was a bit ahead of her time i mean i think you know with her this uh interest in mushrooms because uh mm. she also yeah. i mean she was right about sponges as it turns out you can put them through a oh. sieve and they'll come back together again correctly researched susan gates congratulations yeah. oh wow so maybe i shouldn't have been so dismissive of some of the toffee science she also, the toffee monster. She wrote a brief history of slime in 2003, and you don't need to be a 90s kid to like slime because the kids of today <laughs> bang into it. That's true, um, actually. Oh, You're really? right. Slime, slime's, yeah, slime has really come back. They were making slime for Science Week at the school um, I've been doing my teacher training at. Yeah, just, just this week. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, slime's cool again. she she wrote so many books looking at some of her other ones can we finish off are there any particularly interesting titles that are coming up will I I mean I think the sea hag suckers and cobra sharks sounds quite interesting that's one that was before the revenge of the toffee monster it has a a, a cover which is really quite quite something a sort of purplish jellyfish creature with a kind of screaming baby face and a sharp row of fangs. Um, there's also a trousers-based one. I think it's about killer trousers that I actually do remember. Uh, and the mm. killer coat. There was a, a few ones about items of clothing that devoured people, which I remember. I think I may have done those as well. Yeah, Return yeah. of the killer coat, revenge of the killer trousers, that kind of thing. Yeah. And they had like the zip became their teeth. It was, uh, yeah. Mm. Mm. Oh my goodness! There's one called Doctor Fell's Cabinet of Smells. Hmm. Yeah. Let's say. Yeah. A uh, 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 texture less often uh, discover uh, explored in mm. a. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, they might might be ones to look into in the future. Yeah, um, I I think uh, these were I found these pretty enjoyable. Um, yeah, they're fun. Thank you, thank thank you. Were they they your suggestion? Will I? I think so. Yeah. So so, um, Ren, you and I were discussing like you know possibility of me reoccurring, and you asked me what children's horror-y or spooky books I remembered and I had a sort of 
a flash of the cover and then was like frantically <laughs> googling sticky orange creature children's book question mark <laughs> and uh, I, I managed to find my way over to this and uh, I was like oh, yes that's the one <laughs> nice <laughs> and I've never I've never before properly noticed that the moon is on the front cover that he uh, that he reached out mm-hmm. towards before sending into the oh movie. oh yeah of course Mm. Yeah, that's great to revisit this. I, I, I'm a friend of mine saw it as well, and the front cover had a very strong sort of sense memory for, for him as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, thank you for joining us again, Willow. It's great to have yeah, you. Yeah, thank on. you. Um, Any time. No, uh, thank you very much for having me on. It's uh, been, uh, <laughs> an, an enjoyable journey down memory lane. Um, and um, yeah, I mean. As you are actually a uh, uh, primary school teacher, mm-hmm. um, if you come across anything in your line of work, any current children's horror that you want to uh, discuss, then uh, mm. yeah, let us know. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd have to ask some, some of my older, uh, older teaching uh, colleagues, because I mean, that there are some sort of spooky-ish books which are aimed at the sort of the year two kind of age that I teach I and mean, Lemony Snicket's The Dark is a very beautiful um, picture book oh. which uh, does explore some spooky themes um, but it would well, probably that might be that we haven't done any, any Lemony Snicket's yeah and we haven't done a picture book we'd round up for a while well, we'd... for a, quite a while yeah we did not now burn it before didn't we <laughs> oh, yeah I remember <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and maybe well, we'll have you back on for a picture book roundup. That would be wonderful. Yeah, I'd love that. Hmm. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, do Do you have the credits, Red? Yeah. Um, so um, our intro music is by Maki Yamazaki. Our outro music is by Joe Kelly. Our artwork's by Letty Wilson. And uh, details or links to their uh, stuff is in the show notes. Um, you can email us at stillscaredpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and, um, yeah. Yeah. And, like, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to um, rate and review us on Apple Music or whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you have a sign-off for us, Adam? Yeah. Um, Dyer Harold, don't be a Butterworth, spooky kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, also, if you do have toffee in your blood, please go and see your GP. It's actually very serious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.